Amen. Hey, check this out. We've been studying the life of Gideon for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. It's almost as if I didn't want to get out of Gideon's life because I was afraid of the rest of Judges. That's almost what it looks like because Gideon's life is so rad. But I want to draw your attention to verse 33 of chapter 8. Check this out. This is the last couple verses we studied last week. Gideon is now dead. And let's see what happens. It says, so it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, and they made Baal Bareth their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. Gideon dies. They get weird, and they begin to rebel against the Lord by what? Not remembering him, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, Gideon, in accordance with the good that he had done for Israel. Stop right there, eyes up here. The same sad story. Gideon, the good leader, dies. The children forget him, therefore forget the Lord, because when you disconnect with fellowship, partners in the ministry, you get weird and do weird stuff. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever lost your mind upwards because you lost your mind outwards? You disconnected from the body of fellowship and believers and maybe even plugged into people that you shouldn't be plugging into. And you found yourself walking in different circles only to find yourself walking outside of the boundary of God's will. This is the 9 a.m. service. You guys are pretty proper. But raise your hand. Has this happened to you? Has anybody done this? Half of you, the rest, just give it some time. Just give it some time. Gideon dies. And they forget him, and they forget the Lord. This is why our four is more Bible studies. I don't have any cards right here, but the four is more Bible studies are so important or a life group for you guys to join together with like-minded believers to have accountability, power, to have purpose, to have all kinds of things and fruit in your life. Well, we see that's not happening. I'll check this out. I want to set the tone because I'm going to do a lot of reading and some commenting. But if you're a note taker, kind of grab your notes right now and jot there at the top what not to do. Okay, this is what not to do, 57 verses in the history of the man named Abimelech. Abimelech was one of Gideon's kids. Gideon had so many kids, 70 of them, possibly 70 plus one, Abimelech being the 71st. It depends on how you read the mathematical verses here. And the word Abimelech means, my father is the king. So imagine this. Gideon has a bunch of kids, a bunch of boys, maybe some girls too. He doesn't mention there, but I'm sure there was all over the place. And he has a boy from this woman from Shechem. It wasn't one of his many wives, but it was instead one of his servants, a concubine. And so he has a kid with his concubine. All of this is sinful, by the way. I need to say it in case you're thinking it's biblical. No, no, it's sinful. He has a kid, names him Abimelech. And you remember the children of Israel took Gideon and said, Gideon, you're so cool. We're so pumped, man. Would you be our king? He says, no, I'll never be your king, nor will my sons be your king, but the Lord shall rule over you. But it'd be cool if I got real rich, you know. Remember? And he took the offering and he made a couple relics that would never be forgotten about himself. And then he acted foolishly and he fell prey to the three G's that'll take anybody down. Gold and girls and glory. And he went after all of those. Hook, line, and sinker. And then we see the fruit of his rebellion then and his compromise in the story of Abimelech and the 70 other sons. Can you imagine growing up with 70 brothers? Okay. Get out of the bathroom, you know, I, I got a brush. And man, it would be a total nightmare. So, and this is what happened. And I just wonder, man, poor Gideon. Started out so good. And I, I hate picking on Gideon. If you picked on any one of us, even our great days, like, you know, kind of the headlines and the, the frame-worthy moments, it's awesome. But if you kind of read between the lines every single one of us, there would be some sad days, sad details. Is that, is that true for you too? It's true for me. And yet Gideon makes it into the hall of faith. 
Did you know that the New Testament, when it references people of the Old Testament, it references Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jonah, and it references all these Old Testament characters? Did you know that the New Testament, whenever it references an Old Testament character, listen, the New Testament never points out to or remembers their sin? Go ahead and do a biblical study on it. Anybody in the New Testament who's mentioned from the Old Testament, even though they had some sad days, some silly ways, none of that is mentioned because the New Testament is just that. It's a New Testament. It's a new covenant. It's a new promise that God doesn't see our old things once we're in Christ. He wipes them clean and we go to heaven by faith and works, and it's not faith in ourselves or works by ourselves. It is faith in Jesus in the work of one man, Jesus Christ. Is that not good news? That's such good news. Well, he makes it there. But he has some kids, and all the kids get weird. I've talked way too long and haven't read a verse. We better hurry up. Let's do this. Let's check it out. Buckle in, guys. Here we go. It says, then Abimelech. Everyone say, Abimelech. Abimelech. That's all right. We'll, we'll take it. The son of Jerubbabel. Remember, they changed Gideon's name to Baal, contender, or contends with Baal, Jerubbabel. He went to Shechem. This is Abimelech to his mother's brothers, and he spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father. So he goes home to Shechem, and he goes to his mom's house, and all his mom's brothers are there, and his mom's dad's there, all his uncles and aunts and his grandpa, and Abimelech's having kind of a bad day because the bathroom line was too long, and he's all bummed out at his other brothers. And he says this in verse 2, please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, this is what he's asking them to say, that all the 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers, they spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. Stop right there, eyes up here. A bunch is going on. Abimelech is frustrated that he doesn't have as much notoriety as he thinks he deserves. After all, his name means, my dad's the king. His dad's gone. The people are going crazy. And we would call Abimelech, at the best or at the least, an opportunist. Somebody who sees an opportunity in the midst. Maybe I should now leverage myself in a position to what we're going to call self-promotion, self-elevation, self-exaltation. It's within every one of us to a degree when you have an opportunity to put your best foot forward. And let me say something before I say something. Ambition is not necessarily bad, correct? We should be ambitious. There are verses that speak to ambition. But when it's selfish ambition, when there's self-involved, we have to be very careful because it's going to lead us away from God's glory and others' good and into vain territory. Ambition is not bad. And to the degree that, listen, God gives you wind to fly high and wings to sail towards him, to the degree that God gives you gifts and talents, Leverage those for God's glory and for others' good. To the degree that God has equipped you, be ambitious, but be very careful because selfish ambition lies right at the door. And here Abimelech goes to his uncles and his dads and says, guys, there's like 70 of us and we're all in charge. Do you not see this is crazy? Wouldn't it be easier if I, your actual blood brother, were in charge? Wouldn't that be better? Why don't you go ahead and spread this rumor like wildfire and go to the bars and go to the sports events and go talk to people and just kind of get this in their ear. I'm gonna call this a whisper campaign. A whisper campaign by strategy where he has this idea it's better if it's my way, but I need everyone to buy into it. And so he begins to whisper in the ears of his uncles and his grandparents and his mom, and they begin to then whisper that into the ears of other people. 
We see this repeated in a couple chapters in the books of First and Second Samuel with King David and one of his sons. Does anyone know his son's name? He had the beautiful the hair, the dreadlocks, Absalom. And Absalom does the same thing. Absalom looks around. He's like, man, I should be absolutely in charge here. And he begins a whisper campaign against David. And he says, David's so busy. He can't help you. I know he's a good king, but he doesn't even care about you. You know what, though? If I was the king, I'd, have, I'd take care of your kids. Man, I'd be a babysitter. I'd be a coach for your kids. I would, I would do it all for you. And everyone's like, man, Absalom is too legit to quit. Anyways, we'll get there in the book of 1 Samuel when we get there. But this idea, listen, and I want to just take this deep into my soul. And you too, please. There are two things that you can do with your tongue that are absolutely destructive. Number one is the promotion of self. So gross. Just you talk about yourself and you do it in these little ways. and you just, We can all do it with our tongues. We just do it. Maybe you do it on Facebook or you do it in some other way. But not just promotion of self, but listen, but the tearing down of another. These two things are so godless and so offensive and, listen, so easy to do. Did you know that back in the day, he would have to get together with his buddies just like this and say, guys, I need you to spread this rumor. I need you to kind of join me here. Here's a little bit of tidbit for your ear, you know, a little bit of tasty morsel for your belly. And he would have to, nowadays though, we can communicate via text and email, social media. We can get messages out to the masses so quickly that it's more effective in the positive way, but it's also more detrimental and deadly because we don't always know that we're, listen, either self-promoting or tearing down somebody else's character, even in just regular banter and regular chatting. And I really believe the Lord's saying, Luke, if you want to be successful, if you want to be safe, if you want to be honorable and respectful the rest of your life, be very careful of these two deadly poisons self-promotion or tearing down another. My pastor, Mark Anderson, so grateful for him. He taught me as far as when somebody comes to me with a tasty morsel of good gossip to just kind of stop the person and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Does this ear look like a trash can to you? You know, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it feels like you're putting trash inside, you know. And you're like, ugh. Another thing he said is when somebody's trying to fill your ear with somebody else's business, just say, hey, stop, stop, stop. Let's go get that person. And let's have the same conversation with them right here. Wouldn't that be more profitable? Man, how important it is that we do this. Well, Abimelech, who's prideful at this time, his name means my dad's the king. He gets everybody involved here. And really what Abimelech wants is everything. You guys know the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments are pretty good. And there shall be one God and, and, and don't bow down to idols and, 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 and keep the... Lord's name holy and, and, and keep the Sabbath holy. Don't take the Lord's name in vain and, and honor your spouse and don't kill. You know, and don't, don't. Did you know the last of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not? Starts with C, rhymes with of it. Covet. I knew you guys knew it. Thou shalt not covet. Wait, wait you can remember the Tenth Commandment. It's because you have ten little grubby fingers and we just want to grab everything and covet everything. And the Bible says don't, don't want everything. And I believe if you want things that aren't yours, you'll actually eventually be guilty of the other nine commandments, breaking them in succession one at a time. Because you want stuff that's not yours, and so you'll, you'll lie about it, or you'll tear down someone's reputation and murder them in that way, and you'll go against God's ordinances for your life. It will, it, I say that to say it happens in Abimelech's life. If you do a deep study of everything he does here, he breaks all other nine commandments by breaking the tenth one first. I want something. 
And God had specifically said, I'll rule over you. Don't have vain, selfish ambition. It will lead to all of the other sins. He gets everyone else involved using self-logic, self-ambition. Look at verse 3. I don't know how we're going to finish this chapter, guys. This is going crazy so far. And his mother, brothers, spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for he's our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Stop right there, eyes up here. It's getting weird now. They get funded in this enterprise. He's underwritten by some supporters, and they take money from a false god's coffers from the bank accounts of false worship, and then they give it to Abimelech. Abimelech then goes to the Wanads, and he hires worthless and reckless men. Now, if you're filling out your application, you know, it's like, well, tell me some of your job description history. Like, well, I'm worthless and I'm reckless. You know, I was like, who are these guys? This is, if you know you're worthless and reckless, like that's course correction day right there. That's the day you come to church twice, you double dip. You're like, I'm sorry. He finds these guys and he hires them and they're his posse. They're his squad. And they're the way he's going to self-promote himself. And he's doing this, by the way, because he has to rely on himself. Self-reliance. self ambition, self-logic. It's all self. It's so gross. He hires these mercenaries. It gets worse now. Kids, plug your ears. Here's what happens next. It says in verse 5, then he went to his father's house at Oprah. This is where Gideon had died. And he killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. One verse is given to this dastardly deed. This is like Rambo 7, man, it's just grosser than gross, blood flying, 70 sons, one at a time on one stone, executed in cold blood. A lot of questions come up in my mind. How could this be? Would not one of them fight back? How bad actually were these bad guys that he hired to do this deed? Why wasn't it stopped? And let me just say a few things. In this time and in this day, everything was confused. They were worshiping falsely. They were calling what was good evil and what was evil good And so the innocent bloodshed was happening freely and rampantly. And when a nation, when a people group loses its foundation and begins to make stuff up, we saw that they didn't remember the Lord. They didn't remember God and his kindness. So they started doing things their own way. You might not believe this or agree with this, but taking innocent lives comes easily when you get off your base. Taking innocent lives is not a big deal. As a matter of fact, in our nation, nationally, this happens all the time. Men and women are dying. Did you know that three people every single hour in the United States are murdered all day long? Three people, just innocent blood on average, about 26, 27,000 per year. Three people per every hour are going to be killed, but not just adults with violence upon one another, but did you know 70 babies every single hour in America, 70 babies, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year are aborted, Six and a half, 650,000 per, per year. And I just tell you, man, people lose their minds and they lose their direction. And this is such a gross verse. Verse 5, 70 innocent brothers are slain, and yet one escapes. His name's Jotham. Jotham. He escapes and he hides himself. It says it right there. He's the youngest son of Jerubbabel. He's not a a kid, though. We're going to see that in just a few minutes. He is the youngest. And it says in verse 6, and all the men of Shechem gathered there. These are the bad guys. All of Beth Milo, bad guys. And they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is crazy. And can I just say one thing? Sometimes people get freaked out about the Bible. Like, the Bible's crazy. You know, it's scary. You know, it's not all these. And they, they quote verses like this. Did you know that God recorded everything that mankind has done? 
It's just in the Bible. It's history. It doesn't mean that it's prescribed, that God was saying, yeah, this is what I want people to do. God, though, from the beginning of his creation, recorded all of the actions of mankind, all leading us to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, because no matter how hard you try, no matter how good I am, we all fall short of the glory of God. And there are seasons and there are sections like this that are worse than others. And they show up there to the terebinth tree. This should ring a bell in your mind. There by the pillar. This is a famous place in the children of Israel's history, starting all the way back with Abraham. Abraham would have worshipped in this area. Jacob would have worshipped right here. Listen, just a few generations earlier, Joshua, the one who led him into the promised land, he set up a pillar. I'm going to read to you what Joshua says. It might be on the screens. This is Joshua 24. This is right where they're killing these guys and taking Abimelech and putting him as the king. It says this in verse 26 of chapter 24. It says, then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone, it's right there, and he set it up under the oak tree, the terebinth tree, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And here's what he said, verse 27. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he has spoken to us. And it shall therefore be a witness to you, listen, lest you deny your God. Stop right there. Eyes up here. What's happening? They go out to the terebinth tree. They just killed 70 guys. The Bible's like, I'm the new king. All the guys from Shechem, all the guys from Beth Milo, they all gather there. And right there in the peripheral vision is Joshua's stone that says, don't deny what the Lord has said and do your own thing. They're like, la, 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 doing what I want. La, 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 can't stop me. La, 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 don't remember anything. And they go against the Lord in this way. I got so much to say on that because we're all rebels. We all have some rebellious spirit. We all know the truth. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever known exactly what to do? Your Bible's sitting right next to you, and you do the exact wrong thing. Don't raise your hands. Have you ever done? We do this on micro levels. And maybe as a nation, we're doing it on a macro level, where a whole nation looks back at the history, the founding fathers, and the origin, and the leaving of one country to establish freedom of religion in another country. And here we are. Let's just do our own thing. Let's ignore the Ten Commandments and ignore the scriptures and ignore the... It's crazy. And may the Lord have mercy on us. I can't judge people in politics or Washington. I don't know them. It's not my job. I can only judge my own heart. And may I read what God says and let God's word read me. And may I say, Lord, yes and amen. Not like, this is, by the way, the title of the sermon is is what not to do. So in case you weren't taking notes, don't do what these guys are doing. This was so clear to them. But they ignored it. Now check this out. The plot thickens. Look at verse 7. Now when they told Jotham... This is the only remaining son besides Abimelech. He went and he stood on top of Mount Gerizim and he lifted his voice and he cried out and he said to them, now stop right there, eyes up here. Do you understand? You've got the Shechemites and the Meloites and you've got Abimelech and they're all there by the terebinth tree and all of a sudden Jotham hears about it and he skedaddles up to Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim would be where Moses gave the blessings to the people in the land of promise and the cursings were given on Mount Ebal on the other side and down below is this oak tree this is a historical place of God's word going out and Jotham goes up and he begins to then scream from a mountaintop can you imagine the scene you've got Abimelech and a bunch of bad guys and all of a sudden you hear a voice cascading down from the mountains almost like God's voice of reason in our own lives you know what Jotham means Jotham means Jehovah is perfect the only son to remain the only son to escape Jehovah is perfect. God's law is perfect. His word is perfect. 
conforming our souls, restoring us from the inside out. Listen, Jotham, filled with wisdom and a word from the Lord, now speaks a parable. A parable is a story that you lay alongside of a situation to illustrate a principle. Parallel or lines that run perpendicular or parallel with one another. A parable is a story. Let me tell you a story that's going to help illustrate a principle for the situation we're in. This is, by the way, the very first parable in the Bible. Jesus told parables all the time to people that they were... that. He wanted them to know the truth, but he wanted them to lean in and ask questions and get to the root of the issue. So Jesus would tell stories, lay them alongside of principles in order to illustrate what he was teaching them. Well, check this out. I'm going to read to you the parable. Jotham stands with a word from the Lord from up on top Mount Gerizim. Here's his parable. And he says, listen to me, you men of Shechem. Listen, that God may listen to you. Oh, I just got to make a comment. Look, leave that up there. Listen to me, you men of Shechem. That God may listen to you. You see, when God speaks, it's on purpose to see how we speak, to see how we respond to his word. His word can't just go in our eyeballs and in our eardrums and then do nothing in our lives. It's supposed to go in and cause us to be different men and women every single time. And so Jotham says, I'm going to speak, and we're going to see how you speak in return. And here's the parable. I'm just going to read it to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us, olive tree. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go sway over trees? The oil of the olive tree denied their request to be king over the rest of the trees because he had better things to do. Verse 10, then the trees went to the fig tree and said, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and good fruit and go sway over trees? The fig tree also denied their acquisition or their request to have the fig tree rule over them. He's got better things to do. Verse 12, then the tree said to the vine, you come reign over us. But the vine said to the trees, should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and man, and go sway over trees? The vine also said, no, I've got better things to do than rule over the rest of the trees. Verse 14, Then all the trees said to the bramble. Bramble would be like a a sticker bush. It'd be like a tumbleweed. Only good for fuel and for fire. It would always get in the way of the farmers and the mules and animals. It wasn't good for anything. But these trees are desperate, so they go to the bramble bush. And they say, hey, would you rule over us? Oh, bramble bush. Look at verse 15. And the bramble bush said to the trees, man, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Whoa. Jotham filled with rage and brokenness and anointing of truth from the word of God on Mount Gerizim. says, guys, when the trees go to the oil tree, the olive tree, The olive tree says, I'm doing my job. No, thank you. And so with the fig tree, I'm doing my job. No, thank you. And so with the vine, I'm doing my job. No, thank you. But when these unrighteous men and trees go to the bramble bush and say, we'd like to know it's you over king, the bramble bush says, you know what? Come find shade in my shelter. How many guys want to get a little shade in a bramble bush? You know what I'm saying? Man, just go snuggle up with those tumbleweeds. That sounds good. This is all so picturesque and gross. And the bramble bush points to himself and says, I would love to be your king and serve over you. And I just got one leadership point. The person who points to themselves the most is probably qualified the least to lead others. And the person who points to himself the least is most likely qualified to lead the most. 
One to grow on for those of you who've been called to leadership. Let another man speak well of you and not yourself. If God's called you to leadership, trust the process. Don't point to yourself. Don't leverage yourself. If God's given you ambition and wings and he's given you gifts, let him promote you. Promotion comes from the Lord, the Bible says, not from mankind. Jotham speaks this self-fulfilling prophecy and says that all of these other trees would have denied this acquisition, this request, but we see here that Bramble willingly says, I'll be your king, no big deal. And then he gives a prophecy. Let it be a blessing to you. But if not, let fire consume the cedars of Lebanon, which would be the rulers. Jotham says this, check it out. It says, now therefore, he gives commentary, verse 16. Therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt with Jeroboam and his house and have done him as he deserves, for my father fought for you. He risked his life and he delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem because he's your brother. If then you have acted in truth and in sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house today, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. I read that. And, de- and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and he went to beer, probably to grab a cold one after saying all that stuff. Just kidding. And he dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. He runs now after giving the word of the Lord, fleeing for his own life. Notice what he says here to these guys. He's given them an opportunity. If in your sincerity and integrity you've done this, then enjoy it. Have fun. But if not, then let fire be returned to each and every one of you. Isn't it interesting how the conscience works? I hope you have a conscience that works. Do you guys have a conscience that works? My conscience works, man. Sometimes it works overtime, you know what I'm saying? But to have a conscience that works is a gift. The Bible says that you can ignore your conscience and you can stifle it and kind of suppress it and it will become desensitized. What once was hard to do will be easier to do because you kind of got through that kind of you know, thing and what was sinful, you kind of just got used to it and it becomes desensitized. The next step though is that your conscience will go from being sensitive to desensitized to being what the Bible calls seared, where it doesn't have any feeling anymore. And all of a sudden where here was a little bit risque and then you got used to it and here's probably not good at all, but eventually your conscience stops working and you're way over here doing cuckoo for Cocoa Puff stuff and you wonder how you got here. And the rest of your friends and family and community see you like, what in the absolute world are you doing? And yet it doesn't take long, one step at a time into the tepid water of sin to get acclimated and comfortable in the areas that God has forbidden to us. This is happens with all of us to one degree or another. And yet God has given to us a conscience. I've shared this story so many times before I'm going to share it again. One time a friend of mine, Hannah, she used to go to church here. She now has moved to a different city. Hannah was in jail and she was going through some drug rehab and she'd been released and been assigned a parole officer and was checking in with the parole officer. And one day Hannah blew it on parole. She was outside and she got together with the wrong people and did the wrong things at the wrong time and she did some heroin. And so she did heroin with her friends, and her friends convinced her, if you just take this and do this, you can pass the pee test. You can go ahead and pee clean and fake it till you make it. And so you know what Hannah did? She did that. She did that. And she went into her parole officer, and she passed the test with flying colors. And the parole officer looked at Hannah in the eyes and said, well, looks like you passed. You're doing your work. You're on your way to sobriety and cleanliness. So, Hannah, 
How are you doing? And when he asked her that question, Hannah looked at him, and she broke. She'd passed everything. She was scot-free, getting ready to leave, go back to freedom. And yet she knew that she knew that she knew that she was living a lie. She looked at this parole officer and began to cry. And she confessed that she had done drugs, even though she'd passed. She confessed, and the parole officer looked at her and said, are you, are you serious? You, well, that, I have to, oh, whoa. And he processed it in that way, and they put handcuffs on her. And they walked her across the street there, right behind J.C. Market, across the crosswalk to the Lincoln County Jail, and they put her back in jail. And I know all this because I went to jail and visited her the next day. And when I visited Hannah the next day, I looked her in the eyes, and I said, Hannah, you confessed what you didn't have to confess. You owned it. You were sensitive. I said, that is the greatest gift that God could ever give you. And to be behind bars now for another week or two or whatever the case may be is nothing in comparison to having a soft heart towards the Lord, to not growing weird and rebellious and hardened towards little sins and compromises that will eventually seek to kill and to destroy you. And Hannah confessed, I said, Hannah, don't ever lose the softness of your heart to confess sins. And here, Jotham stands with these guys. This could have been the day of reckoning, the day of reconciliation. Jotham stands, guys. Here's a parable. The olive tree, the fig tree, the vine tree. None of them want anything to do with. You know who wants to do it? The bramble bush. Good for fire only. And he gives this prophecy I'm not going to be able to finish the chapter, evidently. I so wanted to. I so wanted to. I need you to see this next part, though. It says, verse 22, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jotham says what he says and takes off and hides in the caves to preserve his own life. But the truth prevails. The truth does not return void. And for three years, Abimelech is the reigning king. By the way, in his own eyes, this is not a God-ordained event. He could consider himself the first king of Israel, but that would go down in history as Saul. And so he's in this fake position. Listen, for three years. Does three years sound like a long time to you? Okay, it's a long time. He's done something evil, and it took three years, essentially, in what I'm going to call false success, where things hadn't fallen down on him. He's living this duplicitous lifestyle, blood on his hands, a kingdom over his head, and it's all fake. And then after three years, the Bible declares, and after three years, God sent an ill spirit. Is that what it said? An ill spirit. Is that what it said? I'm going to read it again. After three years, he reigned, and God sent a spirit of ill will towards the men of Shechem and Abimelech. These are the bad guys that were in cahoots together, doing bad things, and all of a sudden, God says, enough's enough. Retribution. I'm going to bring to the surface that which has been hidden. Now, let me give you two principles. That which is done in secret will be brought to the light. Listen, both good and bad. What you do in secret in good, loving, caring, serving, giving, abstaining, worshiping, being the person that God's called you to be, it might be three years or so before you see fruit come from your labor. Three years of loving your spouse unconditionally. Three years of serving in that ministry without any accolades or out of boys or out of gals. Three years of giving. Three years of wondering, is anything working? And the Lord says, you wait. You wait. What you reap, you shall sow, whether good or bad. And can I encourage you servants out there, you are called to a position of leadership at your work. 
or a position of influence at the school or somewhere where God's asked you to just be the salt and be the light. You're like, I don't know if it's working. I've been doing this for years. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. And the Lord says, I care. I know all that you have done for me in secret, all of your prayers, all of your love. I see it all, and it will not return void. It will bear fruit. And for you who are serving, don't quit. Don't grow weary in well-doing. But for those of you who also are wondering if the things you're doing in the flesh are going to come back to haunt you one day, I must warn you, they will. They are. God is not mocked. You're going to see a harvest come from the silliness that comes out of our lives. And you might be in a season where like, I've been doing this for three years. I've been doing this for three decades. I've been doing this my whole life. I was born this way. I got all kinds of ways to justify my rebellion. And the word of the Lord comes from Mount Gerizim. It's going to bear fruit. And I would suppose I'd just end on this thought because I love you guys so much. Oh, and I love the Lord too much to lead any of us into a position of compromise or lukewarmness or silliness or laziness in our own Christianity. And may the Lord take the people of South Beach Church and those watching online, tenderize our hearts. And may we know that God is for us, not against us. But he loves us too much to let us stay in the stuff that we're in right now. He wants to free you and deliver you. And he gives, I believe, Abimelech an opportunity here. But for three years, he lives in denial. You know what's beautiful about the Holy Spirit? He loves us so much. He says, hey, I love you. And I see what's going on. I see it. And I still love you anyways. Unconditionally. And like he said to Peter, hey, Peter, can I wash your feet? And Peter boasted and protested. No, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter's like, well, give me a bath then, you know. And he's like, Pete, settle down, dude, you know. Calm down. Pete, you're saved. You're good. But your feet are dirty. The world's dirty. It just is. And so what Jesus said, he said, Pete, I just want to be intimate with you. I just need to wash that stuff. I need to wash the stuff. Matter of fact, I'm going to have Ryan come up. He's going to lead us in a song. When I was in Israel in March, we went to a uh, gift store, and they had all these olive wood carvings, the beautiful olive wood carvings, some, some, some so big they could take the whole center stage, one big root, just carved, beautiful, and the guys who owned, the, they were, it was actually in uh, Palestine that we went to, and these guys, they came to me, I was the tour leader, they said, you can have anything you want, pick one thing, it's our gift to you, you brought your, your team in here, so I began to look around, I didn't want to be greedy, so I tried to find something to, that I could put in my, in my pocket almost, you know what I'm saying, something small. And the one thing that drew my attention the most of all of those olive carvings, those beautiful wood pieces, the one thing that drew my attention the most was a carving of Jesus on his knees, washing the feet of Peter. Neither one of them had any details in their face. It was just one man washing the feet of another man. Washing Peter's feet. Because I can so relate to my need for Jesus to cleanse my heart to not let me live in any success of sin, any area of compromise at all, to not let me get away with anything because God forbid, God wants to be so intimate with you, wants to be so close to you. He wants to wash you and cleanse you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're already cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've already been forgiven. But Jesus says, don't walk away from me. As a matter of fact, let me grab your feet, these feet that are taking you crazy places. Don't do it. Come closer to me. Don't worry about the world and America and your peers and high school and middle school and college and Gen Z and all these people and all the social norms. Don't do it. I love you. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who labor. So here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. Let's all stand up. 
I'm going to say something right now. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows you and he loves you so much that even right now, like my friend Hannah, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, it's, it's that, it's this, it's that attitude. Maybe it's self-promotion. Maybe it's tearing down somebody. You just have a bad attitude. You're not a drug dealer. You're not a weirdo. You're not doing that. But maybe you just gossip. You don't care for people. You care about yourself. You wouldn't look at it that way, but when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you're like, dude, I do that. Maybe you're just selfish with your time or with your stuff or you're judgmental or critical. And the Lord says, why are you doing that? Maybe there's something more nefarious going on, something more carnal in your spirit. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. The Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit loves you, and he's going to speak to you right now, whatever that thing is. And I'm going to give opportunity while we sing this song that if you need to confess that sin to the Lord, the Bible says confess your sin to the Lord, that I want you to come down to the stage and just touch the stage like an altar. Just come to the Lord and plead the blood of Jesus. If you need to confess to me, I'm going to be standing over here on the right on the screen. If you need to confess to me, I'll be there for you. I'll be here after church too. You don't have to come down, by the way. Every single person in here, something the Holy Spirit's going to show you. Let that go. Leave it at the altar. Jotham said, I'm going to speak to you so you can speak to God. So Holy Spirit, would you minister to us right now? Right now. And if any man or any woman, young or old, needs to get their hearts right with you, they're carrying a burden. They can't take that burden with them. They need to leave it here. Would you come down the stage right now? Young or old, just come down right now. Say, I don't want to carry this with me. I'm not taking this out the door. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I don't want to go three years of success apart from you until one day you do something in my life. Come down the stage right now. Join this young man. Anybody else would join them in Jesus' name and repent of your sins. Do whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's telling you to do right now. May the Lord speak to us. I'm going to come down and pray for people right now. Ryan, would you lead us in a song as we respond to the Lord and His grace toward us?